namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa This evening, I would like to talk about the five spiritual faculties. Here's another list now. I'm, I'm, I hope you are getting used to the, to the list. I'm sure somebody is also coming up with another seven very soon. So I think it looks so different, but actually it's similar. As the Buddha say, I, I teach one thing and only one thing, suffering and the end of suffering. Is that two? This your kind of riddle. Actually, it's one, because it has the incense of liberation. The Buddha said that the teaching has only one test, the test of liberation. So it's actually one. Uh, Really, uh, most of the offerings we are giving here, it's really about how to uh, maximize your happi uh, happiness and minimize or eliminate your, your suffering. We may give you different ways, different lists and all this, but it's all aims, aimed towards liberation, fun awakening. So the five are faith, Energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. I'd like to talk about the, the way how we can arouse and sharpen these spiritual faculties. Some of the teachers here have mentioned some of these, actually, like faith. I think Carol talked about it. Somebody talked about energy. I think mindfulness, we talk about this every day. So we can't get enough of that. <laughs> Concentration, the most sought mental state. Every time people come to interview, I can't get concentration. And then wisdom, of course. So when I talk about sharpening these spiritual faculties, I can relate to this very well. When I was very young, uh, I was in a village visiting my grandmother, and uh, uh, I had my aunt there. So I stayed for a few months there, and uh, my grandmother had a knife. And every time she, uh, she, he, she used to keep it uh, somewhere in the banana leaves, by the way, in Uganda with bananas, and that's our step of food, in case you're wondering. <laughs> so banana is our step of food. So there are many banana uh, plants, uh, plantations and all that. So then I looked at this knife, but all the time it was blunt. And um, she used to have a hard time to peel bananas. I mean, but then my, my aunt uh, had another knife, very, very sharp. Every time in her free time, she used to sharpen it, sharpen it, sharpen it. 
every free time she had, she was just sharpening it. My, my grandmother just left the knife alone. So one time uh, I tried to learn how to peel bananas and uh, potatoes and all this. My aunt told me, never touch my knife, it will cut you. I didn't believe her. So when she left, <laughs> I said, why don't I try this knife, actually? So I was peeling uh, uh, potatoes, and I got my auntie's knife, and I was cutting like this. I cut my finger into half like this. I mean, half the nail, really. I mean, the blood was just just getting out. I could not believe, actually, it was my first time to see blood actually really dashing out of my finger. I mean, before I had some kind of injury, I just see blood dripping like this, but this time, like this. I couldn't imagine what has happened to me. Actually, that time, I wasn't a meditator. Maybe unmindfully. <laughs> I used that sharp knife and cut myself. Even when I touch my finger like this, I feel pain. And for me, the teaching actually here, right here, when I touch my finger like this, I still actually feel pain. And it's long time ago. So that shows also that actually pain is imprinted on our brain. Whenever that memory comes, that thought comes, I can feel the pain here. So anyway, um, uh, sharpening your spiritual faculties, uh, it's going to help to cut, not your finger. <laughs> you are suffering. <laughs> suffering and its causes. So that one for me, I'll never forget. And when I came to practice and I heard about these spiritual faculties and how to sharpen them, I said, wow, yes, I can sharpen them. I can cut off my suffering and its causes. So we are going to go through them. They appear in Sanyuta Nikaya as a, a full chapter actually devoted to them with other faculties, like 22 of them, but I'm just going to talk about five because they come in that group as five. Also, they come in, a, in what we call 37 factors of enlightenment. Actually, that's a, they come in a set of bala, powers, and also Indriya, which is uh, faculties. But there's somewhere they come, but uh, you must kind of uh, read between lines, and that's our practice. Uh, here we are doing of the fourth foundation of mindfulness. So in this discourse on the fourth foundation of mindfulness, the Buddha clearly mentioned there I'm going to just quote from that sutta. That actually, that's what we are doing here in our practice here. It's called, Here a bhikkhu, in regard to the body, a bhikkhu abides contemplating the body, also feelings, mind, and dhammas, of course, diligently, clearly knowing, mindfulness, free from intense desire or covetousness, and discontent in regard to the world. So right there in the main discourse on meditation, mindfulness, the Buddha is talking about mental states that will help you to practice mindfulness. Diligent, atapi, that's energy, intense energy, clear comprehension, sampajanya, that's clear knowing, 
mindfulness, you know already. The word bhikkhu there, bhikkhu is a Pali word, of course. Like me, I'm a bhikkhu. It actually means one live, one who lives by arms, arms, and um, of course, a female will be bikuni. But I found out a very interesting word that I think you should know also, because most people accuse or blame the Buddha that he was talking only to monks. Do you think so that the Buddha will just give discourses to monks only? No. He, he was giving these talks to an audience, and for me, I was so happy to find this in a commentary by Buddha Gosa. Remember Buddha Gosa in, in his Pali commentary, commentary. So he just kind of did what we call philological analysis of the words bhikkhu, and he says bayam ikatiti. That's a by, of course, danger. Ikatiti is seeing, I told you when I was talking about Upeka. So basically, Bhikkhu is a, a person who sees danger in samsara. So if you see danger in this round of birth and death, and, and you become a meditator, <laughs> or you ordain, <laughs> you can choose, of course, and you are seeking release from this kind of danger of suffering and all that, then you're qualified to be a bhikkhu. But this is a commentary work, but it can help us uh, not to get caught up in the situation where we think that Buddha, Buddha was talking only to monks. Actually, he was talking to all people who actually was inspired by his main teaching on liberation. So that's how far we can go. Now you know the meaning of the word bhikkhu. So you hear people calling bhikkhu, bhikkhuni. But I would like you also to take it in a wide picture uh, from the commentary. Now, the five spiritual faculties are very clear in the four foundation of mindfulness. Though they don't come up in a group as five, but they're implied in that statement where the Buddha said that a, a bhikkhu, uh, in regard to the body, uh, abides contemplating in the body, so feelings and uh, mind states and uh, dhammas. So these states are very, very important. These mental qualities are very important for our practice because if they are weaker, then our practice cannot proceed on very well. I would like you to realize in your practice during the day and not yourself uh, because you've been here, I think, I don't know even the, how long you've been here, <laughs> but uh, I think it's quite a long time. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'd like you to observe in your practice areas where you felt, why, why did I come here? So that's probably the, the faculty of doubt. Uh, I mean, I think, I, th uh, I mean, the faculty of uh, faith, it's... Uh, very weak, You're asking, oh, maybe this is a very longer retreat. I should have done only one week. This is not going on very well. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good way to sense that the faculty of faith is becoming weak. So it's your responsibility to make it sharper and keep on sharpening it. Doubt about the teachers. How can they figure out all this? <laughs> <laughs> They're just talking about this and this, seven of these, seven of that. and <laughs> I mean, how do they figure it out? 
You can also have some kind of doubt, doubt about your practice, self-doubt. Can I attain enlightenment? I mean, so many questions came up, and Joseph actually did a good job to answer them. So, uh, is there any person who has ever attained enlightenment? Well, <laughs> the Buddha and many people, they are there. Even the Buddha say, if there's a noble eight for path, and the people practicing it, there's going to be some people who gain enlightenment. And he said, if it was not possible uh, to gain uh, wholesome, I won't teach you. So it's possible. But what's very interesting is that most uh, Buddha taught things that are possible. <laughs> That's how he told even his uh, uh, bhikkhus. He said, you know, what do you think? The leaves in the hands, are they more than the leaves in the, in the world, in the forest? Then the bhikkhus said, no, of course. The, the leaves in your hands are, are, are less compared to the leaves outside there in the forest. So then the Buddha said, I teach you this much. This is all what you need to know. So you find out in the teachings uh, that uh, everything that is offered, there's a possibility. There's a possibility, endless possibilities actually, to attain it. But still, doubt can arise. Oh, you know, I'll never get a Latin. Yeah, doubt in Asia also has, uh, is there because, uh, uh, I don't know, for, for some reasons, uh, in Sri Lanka, some people say, no, I cannot get enlightened under Gautama Buddha. I'll wait Metiya Buddha. There's another Buddha who's expected to come. <laughs> it's called Metaya, which is Metta Buddha, <laughs> loving kindness Buddha or something like that. So they say, you know, this time, no, 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 we better postpone our practice. We just wait. <laughs> Just as you can postpone maybe your meditation and wait for retirement in Florida and all these things. So, <laughs> so uh, some people actually put off their practice because of doubt and all that. So uh, sometimes maybe there's a laziness. You cannot see your practice. And as you actually continue to deepen your practice. These spiritual faculties, sometimes they can come, kind of be imbalanced. Like sometimes you, you have more energy and less uh, concentration. Sometimes you have more concentration and less energy. So it's very interesting to watch, actually. When are you low on what? Now, not in your practice where you feel like taking a nap. And they say, oh, come on, good, be good to yourself. Just take a nap. After all, when I take a nap, I'll practice better in the evening. <laughs> so, I mean, it's okay to take care of yourself and take a nap. I'm not saying it's not okay. But really just watch your mind. What's going on there? Because sometimes maybe you are taking a nap because of sheer laziness. Because one of the faculties weaker. So in that case, maybe you might think of taking a walk instead of a nap. Should you identify that, okay, it's just, I'm, I'm just low energy. But sometimes we need a nap, actually, so don't get me wrong. But watch areas where you have that kind of self-compassion. And that's where uh, sleepiness disguises itself. Yes, so then sometimes also uh, 
Mindfulness also can be very weak as a faculty, and then you forget your interviews, you forget your yogi job. That has a global effect <laughs> if you forget your yogi job and all that. So we all are affected. So watch those areas when you are forgetful. You are forgetfulness. Uh, of course, also you, you watch areas where you are distracted most of the time, uh, taking photos and all these. Instead of coming to practice, you are very busy taking photos here and there. You know, in Massachusetts now, this is the best time to be in Massachusetts. Beautiful leaves and all these things. Some people cannot resist that beauty. And they come and take photos here and there. So they really get uh, disturbed. Sometimes when you're ignoring things, that's also wisdom is lacking, is very weak. So then uh, when anger arises or a certain mind state arises, you ignore it. You say, oh, it's going to stay forever. So that's a very good sign that wisdom is lacking. So you might need to boost it. So we are going to go through um, some kind of uh, uh, methods on how to sharpen this faculties so that you don't uh, uh, have this kind of weakness in your practice. Many questions came up on how to attain enlightenment and uh, that we don't talk about it. So actually, I'm, I decided not now to talk about it. <laughs> I just go ahead and talk about it. I know because our Western mind, the way it works, it's goal-oriented, so we want something. But what amazes me when I'm in the United States is how people are self-conscious about their health, about what they eat. And one area that I saw and it was fascinating is people who have also manufactured supplements to take care of health and all that. Sometimes I get uh, kind of a, a container and I, I look at it like this. And I read, I get interested actually. So, okay, this is 1% calories. This is 20% uh, uh, fats and this 10% vitamin A, 20% this and this. So sometimes I find even they have a, val a val value to something like 0%. I say, what did they put there? So after, after all, it's 0%. <laughs> Why did they waste time to put it there? So I never get it actually up to now. <laughs> I say they might meet it, but anyway, maybe there's some kind of uh, interest that I don't understand. And uh, there's always... Uh, at the end, they put, say, it contains no, no sugar, no this, no this, cholesterol, nothing, and no, I mean, so many things that I don't see usually in Asia. I'm, uh, I think this year, it will be, uh, I think, 10 years staying in Asia. I, I don't see these things unless also you go to a shop, like supermarkets. But in, Af in Africa, definitely, unless something is imported from Europe or USA. So we are not so much bothered about cholesterol and this. So one thing I appreciate here is that people are so much, uh, they are actually conscious about what they eat and what percentage 
and all these things. Right, now let's go to the percentage of enlightenment. These are called supplement fact, supplementary facts for enlightenment. Are you ready? <laughs> this is my 10 years, over 10 years of staying in America. <laughs> this is a product. <laughs> I've learned how to do things. This calculation, I did some calculations. <laughs> you know, sometimes I have free time just to have some kind of fun. <laughs> now, I found out after those questions that you gave to Joseph, I found out this is very important for our Western mind. Okay, there are 37 factors of enlightenment. All right? Faith appears twice, and that's 5%. So if you work on your practice 5%, you are getting there. Because some people are wondering whether they will get enlightened or not. All right, now we know 5%, you're in good shape. Second one, energy. Again, don't get frustrated because this is really interesting. Energy appears nine times in the 37 factors of enlightenment. That works about 24%, and that's the biggest one. That's the biggest percentage. No wonder when I was training in San Jose, every time I went to my teacher to report, he said, try hard. Every time for one month, two months, three months, I said, what am I doing wrong here? I said, doesn't he, can he, can't he construct a single English word to val validate my practice? I mean, I was really actually frustrated, actually. I, it was really a big frustration. I, wa I was craving for him to say, okay, you are doing good, good job, go ahead. Or, I'm telling you, it didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, we are talking this uh, Burmese monk, uh, assistant to Upandita, very strict actually than Upandita. You think Upandita is strict? This monk was very strict. Every time I was sitting in the meditation hall, he used to come and peep and see whether I'm meditating or not. <laughs> My training was a little bit tough actually. He wanted me actually, I think, to arouse a lot of energy. So... Uh, now, the third one, um, so we have mindfulness. I found out it, was eight, uh, it appears eight times out of uh, the 27. So that works to 22%. So you are still getting there, quite there. <laughs> you are getting close, you know. You have uh, 22% if you put in a lot of mindfulness. Concentration, it appears four times. So it works about 11%. Wisdom appears five times, so it works about 14%. So rearranging the most important ones is energy, which is 24%, mindfulness, 22%, wisdom, 14%, concentration, 11%, uh, faith, 5%. So now, when you come to my interview and you complain that you don't get enough concentration, <laughs> Know that it's not the end of the world. If you don't gain concentration, you have still a chance to gain enlightenment. 
getting close, of course, to getting enlightenment, you must have concentration, but don't get frustrated. Don't get frustrated because concentration is actually uh, comes due to continuity of mindfulness. People, I've seen people frustrated every time people, I think ever since I did my interviews, and also I used to assist my teacher, Bante Gunaratan, in interviews. I've had nobody has ever complained. I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough faith or enough mindfulness. Every time people complain, I don't have enough concentration. But concentration is a byproduct of all factors working together in, 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 in union. They work together, so they harmonize. So, if you don't remember this percentage, but uh, I put it out there just to remember that it's possible to gain enlightenment. It's possible. In one discourse, the Buddha uh, said that if you practice very well, very, like, like consistently, and then you perfect this fact, the five uh, spiritual faculties, the Buddha said that you can also attain enlightenment. But if say that, uh, I mean what to call arahants, the fourth level, and then he said that if they're still weak, you are on a third level. If they're still weak, you are on a second level of enlightenment. If they're still weak, you're on a first level. So those are the fourth uh, levels of enlightenment already. Joseph mentioned their names. Uh, if you you still have weak fa faculties, you are called dharma follower. You are dharma follower. So you are dharma follower. So don't worry. <laughs> you are just following the dharma. So and you you are bound to enlightenment. You can reach enlightenment. And then if the faculties are still weak, you are a faith follower. You are a faith. Follower. So uh, this is something that you can remember other than giving up and say, so, oh, enlightenment is not possible and all these things, worrying about it. Of course, uh, it's very important to know that it's possible and have faith. Now, how to cultivate the five spiritual faculties? I'm sure Carol mentioned uh, about faith. I don't want to dwell on that. The Pali word for faith is sadda. And uh, uh, it comes from Sanskrit shabda. Uh, uh, it, uh, it means faith, actually. It means faith, establishing faith. Dade uh, is establishing and shra is faith. So uh, establishing yourself in faith uh, um, uh, is kind of making a, a resolution and commitment to practice. Uh, that can give you confidence or you can reflect on the qualities of the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha that can bring you faith uh, if you are discouraged. So contemplation on the qualities of the Buddha, if you don't know them, just contemplate on the qualities of the Dhamma. If, if you don't know them, contemplate on the qualities of the Sangha. In my first talk here, I'm at, I, I mentioned some of these qualities so that you can gain faith.
energy. Of course, before you go to energy, by the way, one of the qualities of a stream entrer, somebody who has attained enlightenment, has these four things. One, faith in a Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, and also faith in the five precepts, which you are taking. So you are taking the five precepts. Have strong faith so that you don't break them. And also have the, these qualities uh, of the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. So something I wanted to remind you. So let's go to energy. Energy, we need to apply energy. So application is the way how we can cultivate. If you don't apply yourself to even a meditation object, then you cannot gain energy because you are not apply, applying yourself. Uh, to this. Already uh, somebody talk about energy. I don't want to really dwell on it, but I just want to remind you there are three stages of energy which are very, very important in your practice. <clears throat> in case you are practicing and then sometime you are tormented by difficult mind states, you need three states of energy. One is called initial energy initial energy. That's when you start, uh, let's say, the, the difficult emotion or anger or whatever it is, fear is very strong. Sometimes you need uh, initial energy to really go ahead because you cannot sail through these uh, difficult emotions. Sustain efforts. This is, uh, of course, the Buddha gave these three elements of uh, energy. There's also sustain effort that you need to sustain sustain, not to give up. And then there's another kind of uh, energy which is called non-stop energy. You don't stop. Practicing, actually, that's when things are going on very well. You don't relax, you know, when you're like getting into joy and all that. You don't just relax and say, oh, you know, I'm done, you know, I'm enlightened. <laughs> so still you need what we call non-stop energy. So these three energies uh, reminds me of uh, something. Whenever I go at the airport, I see an airplane parked in there in uh, the airport. So when it is starting, they always bring a, a tall tractor and they hook it on the, in front of it, and they start actually uh, pushing it, push back, you know, push it, push it, push it, until. It starts its engines, and then it, is, it goes to the runway. And then that thing usually, that tractor usually pushes it to a certain stage, and then it leaves it. So for me, that looks like initial energy. You need that initial energy to start something, especially which is so heavy, whether there's a mind state, whether it's an emotion. You need that push, that energy, whether through a mental note. You need that kind of initial energy. Now, planes start moving on a runway, not flying, but moves. So for me, that's more of a sustained energy. You know, it's sustained that energy. Second level. And the third level, it takes off nonstop until it finally, it finally reaches the final destination. So that's how I see this energy in my practice. And in fact, once you have this kind of sustained energy and nonstop energy, you don't need even a mental note <laughs> because the mind can see things itself, like even an airplane. It doesn't need that tractor on a runway. 
other actually it would be a very big obstacle if a tractor comes when the plane is on a runway. <laughs> so when you are practicing and you are doing this mental note and everything's going on very well and you have all these uh, states rising and passing out, if we use a mental note, a heavy one, I mean you can use a soft one a little bit, but if you use a heavy one, sometimes it can really crash and then you... <laughs> with your um, things. So it gets in the way. In other words, this is a short story. It gets in the way. So we have to gauge um, are we putting, where to put energy. Are we putting energy in the very beginning at the initial, initial stage when there's a lot of fear and all that? Okay, now fear is gone. Now I'm feeling calm and peaceful. If you, uh, you continue to use the same heavy mental note and all this constantly and all that, so you are disturbing your mind state. So we need to know when to back off, when to use energy, when to loosen, and all these things. Now, um, mindfulness, uh, of course, you can find eff efforts in uh, right efforts. Uh, I mean, the, this uh, energy in the four right efforts, somebody must have talked about this. Mindfulness, we have to establish it. We have to remember from time to time to remember to be in a present moment. I don't have to talk about this. I think we have talked about it so much, over-talked about this, I think. So let's go to concentration, non-distraction. Non-distraction, that's a, the function, not to be distracted. So it's like one-pointedness of mind. In Pali, it's called kusalachitta ekagata. That means one um, wholesome state of mind, which is one-pointed. It kind of focuses all mind states on one thing, whether it's a breath, on an emotion, so you are focused. So that's a faculty of concentration. You can find it in four jhanas, which I'm not going to talk about now. Uh, somebody probably might talk about this, but uh, we go to the wisdom faculty. It's called uh, Panya in Pali. Pa is an intensifier, nya is to know. So to know in details, that's what we call wisdom in this tradition. If you want to know in details, then you are, you are wise, you have wisdom. So in discourse, the Buddha talks about one possesses wisdom directed to arising and passing away, which is noble, penetrative, leading to the complete destruction of suffering. So that's the faculties, five of them. That's how to arouse them. Now, let's go how to sharpen them before we run out of time. <laughs> yes. So we, we, before we, sh we learn how to sharpen these faculties, I think it's very important to mention about wisdom because most people have a kind of low-grade wisdom. <laughs> and so I want to really talk more about it, I think, because it's very important. When, if we want to deepen our wisdom, it's very important that we don't stay on a concept level of things concept level, with a concept like this, a cup, and what's here, prize water. Yeah, so water is a concept. If you want to really have more wisdom, we need to go deeper than water. If you bring a chemistry, somebody who knows chemistry, 
you say this is H2O. This is H2O. That's another level of knowing. But if you bring the Buddha or somebody who's a meditator, this is uh, heat, coldness, uh, then uh, there is a, uh, there's hardness and softness. That's when you are diving, you, you jump on into the water, sometimes you feel pain because it has a property of hardness. So that's what we want to use uh, to penetrate. That's why they say penetrative wisdom, not just on a concept. We need to see deeply, not just superficially. Yeah, that's what we call uh, penetrative wisdom. You really go deep, other than just water, H2O. You just really go to the elements, because this water has elements, the four elements, hardness, softness, and how it has hotness and coldness. So we need to develop that kind of wisdom when we are watching things. So let's go to sharpen our knives now. <laughs> we are going to sharpen our five spiritual faculties. Inspired by this uh, the book called The Path of Purification by Venerable Buddha Gosa, I really uh, draw a lot from that book on how to sharpen these spiritual faculties. In fact, there's another monk called Sado Okundala. I think he passed away this year. He's a Burmese monk, very senior Burmese monk. He wrote even a book about it. So since this is a whole book, and I have only a few minutes to go, so let's see how it goes now. Okay, how to sharpen the five spiritual faculties? The first method is the ability to direct your, the mind on the nature of cessation of phenomena. If you want to sharpen the faculty or this of wisdom, we have to focus on the nature of cessation of, of uh, phenomena. I think this is very, very important. Of course, we know uh, things are rising and passing away. Everybody knows Anicca. People come to my interview, yeah, I saw Anicca. So, but what is so special to focus on the nature of cessation of the phenomena? Generally, we need to focus on all phases of rising, all the, the passing away, and both, because that's what is given in a discourse, the Satipatthana Sutta, in many places. And this has a, a big implication, actually. All the phases of uh, impermanence, the rising and passing away and both. Because it has the ability to actually overcome the cause of suffering. I think it's, uh, I think, uh, it's Bonnie who gave a talk about craving. So actually there's mechanics here, how these things work. You know, okay, I'd like to have some kind of craving. <laughs> you see? Now, if you have some kind of craving, this is what happens. If you're craving for existence, right? So there is always an assumption that things are going to keep on going, going forward, right? So that's what we fix in our mind. Okay, I want to to exist forever. So there's all that endless going, 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 and going. 
And craving for non-existence, you want to seize. That's also to an extent that people commit suicide. They don't want to exist. So there's that kind of stopping, something going down like this. And uh, craving for sensual desire, there is a, a, an assumption that things are fixed, right? So unfortunately, I don't have a, a board to draw this here. <laughs> but just look at my hand. <laughs> things are just like this, okay? If you are craving for that cake, uh, I don't know what you have there in dinner or whatever. <laughs> so if you crave for chocolate or whatever, so you say, well, I wonder whether we, have it, we, can, we can have the next day. The same thing. So we always fixate that, okay, I'm going to have the same thing every time. In relationships, in a meditation. Also, we think, okay, this is a good seat. Okay, another seat is going to be the same. So there's that kind of an assumption that things are going to keep this level, straight level. So now, with the practice of seeing what we call anicca nupasana, which means contemplating things when they're rising and passing away, at the same time in that present moment. So actually what is very interesting that whenever we contemplate on impermanence, we undermine, we undermine those tendencies. Because if, let's say, for instance, craving for things to exist is forever like this, but as you're contemplating on, on, on a nature, so you see things falling. So that means it's kind of undermining that force that keeps on thinking that are going to keep on going, going forward. So it just undermines it. It just makes it weaker. So you weaken craving for existence. Now, let's go to the other side. Craving for non-existence is you crave things to stop. But in our experience, we see it rising. So it undermines things that are always you think that you're craving for non-existence to stop like this. And you see in your experience they're rising. So that undermines. That's why you cut off that craving with due time. I told you when you sharpen things, these things, the faculties, they cut something. There must be something they're going to cut. So impermanence, that comes to wisdom, that's a faculty of wisdom which can observe impermanence. So it really cuts and undermines these tendencies, actually. So now for craving, as I told you, it's a very flat kind of constant thing that always we think things should be constant. So, but in practice, we see rising and passing away, rising and passing away. So that undermines our tendency to hold on things that are changing and they're rising and passing away. Because we see it in our experience that things are rising and passing away. And then we drop the idea that things are going to be constant. I offer this for your reflection. Think about it. <laughs> so really, that's how wisdom cuts off craving, actually. There's no body to draw this, but I hope you got my sign and you get some sense of what I'm saying. So we now actually have to direct our attention to uh, to the nature of cessation because I think that's a, a very strong craving that we have. When even we have anger, we think it's going to exist forever. When we have fear, it's going to exist forever. When we have thoughts, we think that it's going to be, for, uh, be with us for forever. But we see, it's always changing. But I don't know, we fix it in our mind, all oh, that is going to arise. The thought of fear is going to arise. So we always think that things are going to exist forever, including pain. When we have pain, we think, oh, even tomorrow I'm going to have pain. Who told you? 
you have no clue. <laughs> I mean, for me, I went through a lot of pain, actually. I was sitting over there in three-month retreat, right there. I went through a lot of pain, and I thought it's going to be the whole three months. But I'm telling you, it was, I mean, after uh, maybe uh, six weeks. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> but I have to work on it. I went for interviews, many interviews. <laughs> we worked on it, actually, how to overcome it. If I'm unable to finish all methods to cut suffering and its end, if you just learn only this method, I think you'll do a great service. How the teaching on impermanence undermines the heavy defilement of craving, the three kinds of craving. If you get that one today, <laughs> then you not neglect. Whenever you practice, try to see the, the passing away nature of your experience. Most of the teachers you see here actually practiced under uh, Burmese traditions, uh, Sado Pandit and all this. And my teacher was Sado Silananda, who is under Mahasi also, Mahasi tradition. There was a specific way of noting and uh, reporting your interview. In other words, they gave us a specific way of practicing and also reporting. Now when I read this methods on how to sharpen the five spiritual faculties. And I look at the report that it's a format that they gave us, actually. Before you go to the teacher, you have to report in a, a certain way. It's amazing that it just actually reinforces um, these ways on how to sharpen the spiritual faculties. I just read to you, actually. Before you go to the teacher, you don't report here and there and there. And there. You just have to report first. What happens when there's a rising of your abdomen? And what happens when it's falling? You have to be very precise. Very precise. Okay, here it is. Then you will see what uh, we talk about um, this kind of uh, sharpening this spiritual faculty. He said, describe secondary objects clearly observed and noted during sitting meditation, i.e. bodily sensations, pain, itches, uh, thoughts and ideas, wandering mind, planning, remembering, mental ideas, anger, pride, happiness, etc. Please relate the following information for each object described. The rising object, for instance, pain in a knee. What you did, how you did it. I noted it as pain, pain. What you observed, I observed stabbing pain. What happened to the object? The stabbing pain changed to hardness, pain. What you did next? I noted it as hard, hard, hard. <laughs> no. What you observed? I observed slow pulsating hardness. As I noted it, it decreased. What did you do next? I went back to noting rising and falling. This was the expectation. <laughs> Whenever you went to the teacher for an interview, one day, at least for me, as a, when I was training as a monk, 
every the other day you had to report this for six months. I'm telling you, one time I, I used to report and say, what am I going to report that I haven't uh, exp uh, reported before? <laughs> this is just only one, ri one rising of the abdomen on falling. So you have to report to de in details. But what's very interesting, people there were very interesting where you, uh, whether you, you could see something passing away. So that's really sharpening your speech of faculties. I think it was very helpful because it trained us how to be very observant. Not just, oh, I had pain, 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 pain. No, you have to observe if there's change, is it increasing, decreasing, and all that. So this helps to sharpen the speech of faculty. I've talked much about that, and I think let's go to the second one. Second one is uh, you have the second one is you have to be mindful in respectfully and penetratively. You have to be respectful when you practice mindfulness. That means actually slowing down. When we practice, we had to slow down. In a monastery, if you walk very fast, there was always a feeling that the teacher's looking at you. <laughs> yes, even when they're not looking, actually, we thought that somebody's looking, actually. I remember I was in uh, San Jose and Saido uh, Pandita went out for lunch. And, uh, and then he came, I was walking, lifting, moving, placing. I say, maybe he's now looking. <laughs> then I, maybe I should really actually move even slower. But I think he might have been not looking at me. But it's amazing what I thought, actually. Slowing down was very, very important, I think. Um, because when you slow down, you can see more things. If you move very fast, you can't see many things. So you can lose even mindfulness if you move very, very fast. So slowing down can sharpen the faculty of mindfulness. Along with that is penetratively. You have to penetrate. You have to use Panya wisdom to penetrate your experience, not just superficially. And that's where the elements comes in, actually. Uh, even when you have pain, I found out it's very helpful to really penetrate that pain and feel different elements. Is it pushing? Is it stabbing? Is it pressure? Is it, so you break it apart other than just observing pain as a concept, but you penetrate it. And for me, I've, having gone through pain in a monastery, uh, when I penetrated my pain and I saw different sensations of pulsing and hardness and softness, whenever pain came, I would not just think about pain. I would just think about I would just not pressure, tightness, heat, coldness, like this. It's amazing that I could increase even my sitting because now what I was interested in was actually the rising and passing out of these different sensations. So this is very important. The third technique is the ability to mentally note or be mindful continuously. We have talked about this continuity of mindfulness. That's where continuity of mindfulness comes in. 
if we keep on practicing in fits and starts, we cannot build this kind of concentration. We cannot build mindfulness. Joseph, I think, talked about this. I, I don't want to dwell on this, but I, I just want to share with you something. When I, uh, I was practicing on the, at the forest refuge there, and uh, one teacher was interviewing me, I think 2003. He said, oh, you're Buddha Rakita? I said, yes. Oh, you protect the Buddha? He said, okay, I'll try. <laughs> and he said, okay, you should protect the three C's. So what are those three C's? <laughs> yeah, protect three C. And then my translator explained me, and so okay, you should first C, you should be, you should have concentration. The second C, you should have continuity. The third C, you should have concurrence. But concurrence, I didn't know what he meant by concurrence. So then he told me, okay, you know. When things happen, you should be right on top of it, you know, not just before or after. They used even an analogy of like using a fork, you know, to eat food, and you just penetrate right there in that moment. So in other words, your mind and the object that's arising, they should be at the same time, not before or after. That's what we call concurrence. So I found that very helpful, actually. I found it very helpful to keep my uh, continuity of the practice going. But also what I found very helpful was uh, intentions, integrating a lot of intentions in my practice. <clears throat> the fourth one is to cultivate the seven suitable or beneficial dependables. I think you don't have to worry about this, actually. We who have practiced in Asia, I think uh, we can worry about it. But here in America, you don't have to worry about how to cultivate the seven types of dependables. One of them is suitable place or meditation center. I think IMS is like a five-star Dharma resort. <laughs> <laughs> If you compare to the places where we practice, like sometime in Sri Lanka, I go to meditate, and then I'm doing walking meditation, and the snake is peeping like this. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just fascinated about my meditation. I don't know. It just it's like this. I say, where did this snake actually pass? <laughs> and sometimes you go to the restroom, and then you find one just run like this. If you have fear of snakes, or not so. <laughs> Easy actually. But there, there's a practice we do to send metta to all these snakes and all that. So, you shouldn't worry about the, the place to practice. That's one that can help you to practice actually, to sharpen the five spiritual faculties. Well, another one is uh, right way of talking and conversation. Of course, now you keep noble silence and. Uh, and, uh, and uh, of course, uh, you don't have to talk here. That's very good. Actually, if you keep silence, uh, silence uh, it helps you to cultivate the speech of faculties. Noble silence is actually something that you attain in the second jhana. So 
And the second jhana and concentration, you attain noble silence. Other kind of silence, we call them total silence. There's a distinction there. Suitable individuals, uh, friends, I think you are with a group of teachers who are wonderful, so that can help to sharpen your speech of faculties. You can go for interviews, they give you different techniques on how to sharpen concentration, faith, and all these things. Suitable climate, another uh, one of the seven suitable, uh, suitable dependables is good climate. Here you can regulate, regulate it to heat and all this and AC. I don't know if you have AC here. No, I don't think so. But anyway, you don't need AC here. <laughs> but in Asia, sometimes it's so hot, you cannot practice. I went to my teacher one time, and I said, it's too hot in Burma. Even with my African upbringing, it was challenging. <laughs> so what's going on here? I, I grew up in Africa, and uh, I, I spent seven, five years in India. I'm telling you, the heat was crushing. It was oppressive. I could not meditate in, 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 in my room. And, uh, so the teacher told me, you know, you shouldn't worry about the heat. You should worry about the heat inside. That means your craving, your aversion, your hatred. That's what you should worry about. <laughs> because that goes on from life to life, you know. So ever since he told me that, I kept on my practice for two months. People were giving me an umbrella. Bante, please, here's the umbrella. We are supposed to be quiet, but people were really, really concerned. Everybody was moving this umbrella, you know. Every, I mean, I mean, this is, we're talking about 100 yogis going. Every yogi is an umbrella, and this heat. I say, I'm not going to use this umbrella. I'm telling you, the heat crushed me, and I was mindful of hot, hot, hot. Every time it was hot, I was just making a mental note, hot, 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 hot. It didn't bother me. So controlled climate is very helpful to your practice. Con suitable food, of course, you don't have to worry about food. Here is great food and suitable bodily postures. Uh, you should do practice in the four postures, actually, to balance your spiritual faculties. Sometimes if you, you have, um, uh, let's say, sleepiness, you need to stand up. You need to walk. I don't know why the Buddha didn't mention running. That could do the job. <laughs> yeah, but it's not mentioned there. But, uh, yeah, I think walking should, should be quite enough to actually to offset your sleepiness so that you don't have uh, this kind of... Uh, imbalances in speech of faculties. If you have too much restlessness, you can lie down, not in a meditation hall, but uh, in, your, they say in your free time and there's a lot of restlessness. When you lie down in that lying down posture, that helps to overcome uh, restlessness because you, you, maybe you, you're lowering your energy. When, you, when you're in a lying posture, you don't require a lot of energy. That can cut off the energy. So the fifth one, I think that's where I'm going to stop. Remembering the causes of attaining the tranquility, tranquility mind. You have to remember when you, let's say you, go, you gain concentration, 
where you practice metta, loving kindness, and gain concentration, where you, uh, let's say, watching your breath rising in the fall of abdomen, or you are watching your breath here. You have to find, it's called uh, nimitta, the sign of uh, concentration. You have to remember uh, the causes of attaining tranquility of the mind. That can help you to sharpen spiritual faculty. It's like when you go somewhere you, and you have a map, you draw a map. So next time you go there, it's very easy, isn't it? So, but if every time you drive somewhere, you throw the map and all this, you get lost again and all this. Uh, that's what happens. Uh, I go to Brazil to teach. Uh, every time they take me to meditation center, they get lost. I say, okay, why don't you keep the map? So, if you really actually practice your meditation, draw a little bit of map. Okay, today that's how I got meditation. I, I woke up in the morning at this time. I practice, I practice this and this and this. Then you get some idea. Of course, you are not going to get the, main, the same mental state, but at least you know some ways uh, that you're going to help, that's going to help you. Friends, I think I should stop here. There are nine ways. I think um, that's enough. Five ways. There are remaining four more that maybe will come later on. Uh, sometime. If you can remember five, I think that will help. Thank you very much for listening. Let us sit for a moment or two. beings be able to sharpen their five speech of faculties and attain final liberation. I offer this for your reflection. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.